0: Great to see you who are watching online, all right? So those of you who are watching on Facebook, YouTube, please, please hit the share button. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, get notifications. When you do that, uh, sometimes Facebook and YouTube say, hey, maybe this is interesting content, all right? And uh, we try to run things so that you can share with your friends, people who may not be Christian at all or from a different religious view and uh, try and make it engaging for everyone. So please hit that share button and uh, use the comments to participate in the stream this morning, all right? Uh, Just want to give you a few announcements. Um, uh, One of them is on the screen already. No, I'll put it on the screen. Hey, look at that, it works, magic. Uh, So we are meeting every Sunday, right? Uh, For the foreseeable future, at least, uh, you know, pandemic permitting. We'll see how it behaves uh, more toward the fall. But uh, we've got every Sunday booked, so uh, you still have to register, all right? Some of you, you keep me on pins and needles. I keep looking at the registration and I see like two people, and then the next day I see like two and a half people, and then I see two and three quarters people, and then it's four people, five people, seven people. And then, you know, sometimes at midnight, you know, the night before, it's like, whoa, there's 15 people (laughs) who just registered, okay? So try register just a little bit earlier so that at least we can figure out how many people are coming. we're allowed to have more people in uh, this room. We can probably manage 50 and still keep the distances uh, healthy, which we're still required to do. We are still required to register because of contact tracing. I know that makes you nervous, but if perchance there was a case, they, they will contact us. They'll say who they, where, who were they in touch with and all of that. So that's why we do that. Uh, I do think, though, that because food is now permitted uh, in the movie theaters and they're serving food, um, before things changed and they were allowed to serve food, you are, I think, allowed to remove your mask when you're seated only. All right, if you're walking around, you've got to keep it on. But I think you're permitted to take it off now. I wouldn't abuse that too much, but I but I think you are uh, because you're allowed to eat, right? And so if you have your water bottle or whatever, you can, you know, take it while you're... And of course, you at home, you're having your breakfast and your pancakes in your pajamas right now, so you can have whatever you want, okay? You have that that little bonus, okay? Uh, but you do need to register, and I will tell you, I'll throw this in next week, we have a guest. Our own uh, Don Mann will be will be here with us, and uh, he's one of our global workers, and uh, leadership training is uh, Don and Marie-José's forte now, and they are continuing to develop content, work on content uh, that they're going to take around the world w- when they're allowed to travel, and Don continues to his own health, you know, his own health battle that he's in, but um, still Still running on all cylinders, so he's going to come in and share next week. And uh, also on Father's Day, we're going to bring him in live uh, via stream from Toronto. We'll have EJ Toupe, our newest uh, global worker, is going to be sharing. So two weeks in a row, you get two guest speakers, all right? One will be here, it, sort of in the flesh, and um, and the other will bring him in on the big screen so you see his face is all big and giant there, okay? You'll get to meet EJ Uh, continue to pray for our other missionaries as well, the Charbonneaux who are in Port-au-Prince today. And uh, that's uh, something we're always doing, of course. And thank you for your generosity, your giving. People are continuing to give toward our HOPE Fund. uh, And when it's not designated, it goes to our workers and supports the work that they do. Okay, so thank you very much for keeping consistent. Wednesday night this week, we're continuing our video Bible study on that uh, really cool interview with John Lennox, the professor out of Oxford University called Against the Tide, and that's a Zoom call. We're having a lot of fun with that group. I think it's about eight or nine people that are on that call. We've got kids on that call as well, and it's a lot of fun uh, to see, uh, you know, build, again, build conviction, build faith in an age uh, where that is being challenged probably like never before. Uh, uh, Parents, I keep reminding you of uh, the Making the Bible Come Alive website that you can use Uh, to work with your kids Um, you know in this time we have not had in-person kids ministry for over a year but I do have an announcement for you some of you have seen it already and I'm thankful for the the board that I'm working with a couple of them one of them's here today the others are watching online Uh, but we will be hiring and we are going to hire a part-time children's ministry team leader and uh, we have tried for five years to, to run exclusively with volunteers, uh, but it is a real challenge. And uh, our board, we believe that uh, children are not only the future of the church, they are the present. And we want someone who is dedicated uh, to that ministry and oversees teams of volunteers, runs curriculum, runs the facilities, and puts together a dynamic, fun, safe, uh, children's ministry for our kids. Some of you who are watching online right now, parents, your, your, kid, your, your kids are at home because you're saying, well, you know, they're, they're, what am I going to do? i sit with them in the adult service because right now there isn't something for them. So what we want to do is use the next couple of months, actually, to prepare for an influx of new families. We are going to be running our Back to School Bash in mid-August. And that will fill this room, we'll probably have to do two runs of that. And we'll have families who will come in, and We the backpacks are ordered, the school supplies are ordered. Uh, special guest is booked, the room is booked, and what happens is you get families who discover our church, and we want to be up running on all four cylinders and have a dynamic, I'm not even going to call it kids ministry, uh, like discipleship, where we're actually discipling kids, not just doing daycare, you know, Sunday daycare for an hour <laughs> to get the kids, you know, give the parents a break. That's that's good, but you've got to go further. We want to partner with parents to disciple young people, all right? So we are hiring, Uh, maybe there's some people online, and you you might know somebody who's got experience with kids, especially in a church setting, this is great for a young person, Uh, some young people studying early childhood care, have a passion for kids, love the Lord, uh, got some experience in working with kids, Uh, then you might be the person that we're looking for. Uh, so you can contact me uh, directly through our Facebook page. The job is posted there. Or uh, just email me. You all know my contact info, okay? It's quite public. So I'm, I'm super excited about this, actually. I don't know if you are, but I'm really excited. It's like our first hire. Oh, okay. Five years, okay? This is, like, this is a really big thing. And um, boy, I just can see the activity and the hustle and bustle of uh, when it will come. I can just see it happening. And uh, there's so many cool things that you can do in a movie theater with kids uh, and do creative ministry. So I'm very much looking forward to that all getting going, all right? Uh, continue, you people, I keep preaching it to you. you watch this, this stream, stream this show, The Chosen. Tell people who are not Christian per se to watch it. Just say, can I have your opinion? What, what 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 do you think of this? I'd really like you to watch this. I'd, if you don't like it, let me know. If you like that's what I do with people, and you know what? They're watching. And uh, it's superbly done and really gets you thinking, okay? Uh, you can uh, always give online, as you know, on our website, uh, always open all the time. And today, of course, we've got the envelopes and the machine. You can come at the end and do that, I think... I have volunteers who can run that. Give me a headshake. You know who I'm talking. You can run the machine at the end. Yes, superb. Thank you. And um, so we'll have a volunteer at the front to to take care of that. All right. So today we're in part eight. Woo, eight part series. Man, we're we're in part eight of losing my religion. This is a walk through the book of Hebrews in the Bible's New Testament, all right? If you've never read the book of Hebrews, uh, this is a good time to get acquainted with it. All of our messages are on our Facebook page, our website, YouTube, they're all there so you can revisit. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Charles did a great job talking about uh, this whole thing of store-bought versus the real and he was talking about uh, actually freshly churned, sort of homemade butter as an illustration, better than store-bought. So, and he used used that as a kind of an illustration to talk about a really tough passage in the book of Hebrews, talking about this obscure priest and king by the name of Melchizedek. Uh, Hard to say, but uh, you should watch that message. Online and uh, it 'll it'll help you get more of a feel a uh, little bit of feedback there omar so i 'm sorry my voice is so difficult to mic, but you 're doing a great job and keep it going all right uh, and I was thinking about that message that Pastor Charles preached, and um, you know Jesus used, uh, used an image for this idea and I'll explain what the idea is in a second, but uh, Jesus talked about new wine and old wineskins. You know that in the Gospels, he talks about that. And you take new wine and you put it in old wineskins, what's going to happen to the wineskins? Are they going to hold that wine or are they going to burst? Well, they're going to burst. Uh, he talked about a new patch of garment that you try to put on an old garment, and what's it going to do? It's going to tear. And he's using these as illustrations for the new that would come in him versus the old uh, that they'd been living for so many years. And he's trying to teach that. And um, so whether you talk about butter, and you know, store-bought versus the real thing, or you talk about new wine and old wineskins or a patch of garment, it's, it's the same concept. This idea of the new covenant in Jesus, that's a fancy term that we use in church, uh, covenant. It means an arrangement, a relationship. Uh, It had a contractual uh, uh, connotation back then, okay? So is the newer better is what we're going to talk about today. Um, And it's kind of picking up on what what we visited last week. Is it really better? and to help you understand this you know we in church again we talk about the new covenant and today we're going to do communion at the end of the service first time in over a year that we'll actually do communion in person in the same room those of you online you can get emblems ready juice and bread if you have at home you can get those ready and you can participate right along with us Uh, But uh, we talk about this stuff in church over and over and over again. We talk about the New Covenant, we read from the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we use these terms and we use them over and over again. But sometimes we get so uh, used to them that we, we get a bit inoculated and we don't necessarily appreciate the power of these things. Uh, when we talk about the new covenant, when we talk about that freshly churned butter, so to speak, and we lose an appreciation of those things over time because we get so used to these terms. We don't realize how significant that they are sometimes. So I wanna help you to try and grasp that today. This book of Hebrews um, that we've been reading from is, a book that's not really addressed to us. It's it's for us, but it's not really addressed to us. The specific audience that that this letter went to by the title that we've given it and by its content, it's specific, it's to Hebrews, to Jewish folks 2,000 years ago, so, most of you, I'd say all of you in this room, except, except for uh, me, as I often say, I'm the oddball in, in most churches, most of you aren't Jewish. I think all of you aren't Jewish. Any of you Jewish in this room? I don't think so, okay? Well, uh, so you look at, at the, a book like Hebrews, well, there really is only one book of Hebrews. There's nothing really quite like it in the Bible, and it's hard to relate to it because it's talking about the way that these Jews practiced, it's trying to establish the superiority of Jesus and the new covenant compared to what they understood. Um, And and this is is great for, uh, for them maybe, but for us, we try to relate to it and we try to pick it up and we try to understand, okay, how does this apply to my life today? Because I don't come from that background. I don't come from that context at all. So I wanna try and help you to understand a little bit what that context is so you can appreciate what you are living in a little bit more. And uh, then we'll do communion together because it's a question that these original readers and hearers of this letter would have had is, is this really worth it? Is newer really better? I mean, yeah, that, that butter really tastes good, that freshly churned butter, but in the long run, is this really better, or is this just a flash in the pan kind of thing? Uh, is it really better, and if it's better, why is it better? Because the truth is that for these people who read this thing, uh, they were not going through the best of times because they had made this decision to follow Jesus as their Messiah. Messiah is this hope that the Jewish people have, uh, a deliverer, a savior, one who will come and rescue uh, the Jews from oppression, one who will bring peace on earth and. End the present state of things and put an end to sin and evil and war. This is the figure. This is the hope of Judaism. It was their hope 2,000 years ago. It's their hope today. And so they embrace Jesus as this Messiah, but it cost them. And uh, so the, the question that they have to wrestle with is, is newer really better? Because this is not always going well. It's not always going well for me now that I've decided to follow Jesus. And uh, they had resistance um, when they followed him in the first century. They have resistance when they follow him today. Even a person who is not from a Jewish background, from a so-called gentile background non-jewish background you're going to experience some resistance when you come to jesus is newer really better why did these folks in particular accept jesus when they would face resistance as a result so when you you and you can see this just a casual reading of the new testament you can see this you start with jesus himself um when jesus Uh, 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 sort of came on the scene. Well, uh, it's not like everybody in his religious culture just said, all right, he's here. The Messiah is here. We've got him. We found him. Here he is. Now, some folks did that, but not all of them did, right? And by the way, in the TV series, the streaming series, The Chosen, you see this very well. You see there's clearly... There's a there's certainly a following of Hebrews, of Jewish peoples, all Jewish at that point pretty well, who follow this Jesus as Messiah, and yet there is a, certainly a measurable spectrum of Judaism in his time, who not only don't follow him, but utterly reject him. Utterly reject him. And it seems to be that the more the 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 rejecters Uh, uh, the more religious that they were, the more pious that they were, the more antagonistic they were to Jesus. Interesting. So it's not like it was yay. It was, well, (laughs) yay for some, but no for others. So you could say Jesus was an extremely polarizing figure. Um, And even in the Gospels, you do see non-Jewish people who, who follow him. You do see this, especially in the Gospel of Luke. You see uh, people who are outside of Judaism who grasp who he is. It's amazing. I mean, even the wise men, you know, the, the the so-called three wise men, we don't even know how many there were, but those folks weren't really like Jewish folks, okay? So, we do see that Jesus is touching people who are outside of the the, the community of Judaism for sure but most most of this is within the camp so to speak and there was he was resisted um, and then we see that the people who followed him are resisted as well they face resistance you read the book of Acts opening chapters of the book of Acts what do you see you see a persecution from a section in particular the more elite section the Religious leaders, the people who taught the law of Moses, the the scribes who copied the what we call the Old Testament today, the Pharisees—they were the separate ones, they were the sanctified ones, the holy ones. They're kind of like the religious cops of the day. The 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 far the public displays of religiosity of these people. I mean, they seem to keep all these laws and know everything. The 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 uh, the what do you call the Chief priests, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the Sanhedrin, the body that put Jesus on trial. These are the folks that are antagonistic toward this movement, antagonistic towards the newer, and they want it stopped. Uh, We see uh, Stephen, a Grecian Jew who is put to death brutally uh, in a very similar fashion to the way that Jesus was executed. They're saying the same things to Stephen that they said to Jesus. Um, you see that's done by Saul of Tarsus or by his Roman name, Paul, the way you pronounce it in Hebrew, uh, Saul. And uh, he is a Jew who is passionately opposed to Jesus and to this new movement. Uh, he views the whole thing as a grandiose deception that must be stopped. This is a man who who imprisoned people who followed Jesus as Messiah, and on occasion had them put to death. Very serious business. So is newer better? Woo, why don't we just stay with the, with the store-bought and everyone will be happy? Why do we need the newer? Why is it better? So first century, you zap back in time and put yourself in their world. The Jews who did reject Jesus, and I wanna be extremely clear that that's not every Jewish person that is a particular segment of Judaism who rejected Jesus. They did so on theological grounds, and political grounds for sure. They had a lot to lose uh, because he had so much of a following uh, especially from you know some of the marginalized of the culture would follow him on mass. And he was creating quite a stir. There would certainly be political reasons why they would reject him. But to a large degree, the reasons are theological. You say, what do you mean? How could they be theological? I thought the, 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 there's no argument from the scripture that can be made well uh, against Jesus. Well, l- look at how they behave, right? So even if you look in the Gospels and you look at the way that some of these folks behaved toward Jesus, what did they not like? Well, the one thing they didn't like was the way that he seemed to uh, posture himself as being of equal authority to the law of Moses. So he says something like "The, the Sabbath was made for man. The son of man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And he, and he does things on the Sabbath, good things. He does miracles on the Sabbath. He heals, heals people on the Sabbath. And then he's at the same time making these claims that he's the Messiah. And they say, no, you can't do that. You cannot do that because you are in violation of the Bible. And yet you're doing these miracles at the same time. That's their posture against him. They're saying, you can't do that. And these miracles that you're doing, therefore, there's, a, there's something wicked behind these miracles because you have, you have violated Moses. You have violated the Torah. You have violated the Tanakh. You have violated these things, and yet you've got this following and you're doing all these things. There's something wicked about you. This is why when Jesus is casting out demons, they say no this is a trick he's doing this by demonic power that's why these demons are coming out because he himself is a deceiver do you see that that's their position and these are not these are not foolish people these are not people who did not know their Bible this was their posture theologically speaking not only that you have Jesus Declaring boldly and crystal clear in in, certainly in their language that he is God. He's making claims of deity. And this is a major problem for them because for them, God doesn't share his nature with anyone. God doesn't share his nature with a man, a carpenter. We know the dude's mother. We know his father. Who is this guy? He's calling himself God. You see, there are parts in the Gospels where they want to stone him for blasphemy because he's equaling himself to God in terms of who he is and his nature. This would be an affront to their monotheistic understanding. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, not two. He's one God. So not only is he's violating the Sabbath, he's violating the law, he's violating the commandments, yet he's doing these miracles, yet he's got this following, and he's calling himself the Messiah, and he's calling himself God. This is a major, major problem. This guy is a deceiver. And that's why uh, when Jesus was executed and buried, they said, put a guard at that tomb. Guard it, because... He made these claims about rising from the dead and all of this nonsense, so we want to make sure that that's not even going to be a greater deception lest someone rips his body off and steals his body, and we've got more problems to deal with. And in their view, God, they're doing this for God. This persecution and this wanting to stop uh, this whole thing was in the name of God. It wasn't because they were bad people. It was because they felt that they were doing it in the name of God. And this is why you see this kind of, I mean, Jesus has the strongest words of condemnation for these folks. Uh, What does he call them? A brood of vipers. You know what that is, a brood of vipers? You ever seen a brood of vipers? Some of you, you may have been, if you come from different places in the world where they actually have snakes and snake pits and these kinds of things, you know what a brood of viper is. This is what Jesus calls these these folks. He calls them hypocrites over and over and over and over and over again. Oh, you're an actor. You're a hypocrite. That's what he says to these people. And yet they turn around and they call him the devil. In one place, they actually say that they say it's by the prince of demons that he casts out demons so this is the feud that is caused again with this particular section uh, of Judaism at this particular time is theological grounds and certainly political they would not again he's gonna got a movement of people that are following him, this is gonna rock the boat. Not only that, I'll throw another one in for you. He's making claims about the temple. So he's saying, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Excuse me? So their view of the Messiah, and this is a view today, I'll show this to you in a video in a minute, is that the Messiah would rebuild the temple and would gather the exiles back to Israel and Jerusalem. He's a builder of the temple, he's not a destroyer of the temple. So what, he's gonna do a magic trick and destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? He's a blasphemer, execute him, get rid of him. He's a trickster, he's a deceiver, he's a blasphemer and he's dangerous because he's doing all these miracles. We can't deny these things. So there's got to be something wicked about this individual. Now in the 21st century, it's, it, there is more to it than that. In the 21st century, not only are the grounds theological, but the grounds are also historical because you got 2000 years of history under your belt and history is not so good. So I'm going to play a video Uh, to show you this a little bit. It's only two minutes long, but listen closely. And this is, uh, there's so many rabbis now that you can watch on on YouTube, it's great. You can see all this information, all these debates and all this stuff uh, about why they reject the new covenant and why they say newer is not better. And and why they feel like um, this is a, Christianity is a problem, not a solution. So I'm gonna play this video uh, make sure we're muted uh, you know how uh, on the sound tech side so that people don't hear uh, an echo online but hopefully it will work let me go back and uh, get this video going for you
1: I don't choose except Jesus if you look at all the messianic um, prophecies the idea of Messiah is that he's supposed to in, in gather the exiles and rebuild the temple that there has to be this idea of, of um, being a, a, a savior, salvation of of helping the Jews, and at the time that you know Jesus was living historically, the Jews still lived in Israel. The temple was still standing. There was no exile. So it's kind of amongst a variety, wide variety of other reasons. It would be like. Um, <laughs> you know, expecting someone to get penicillin when they're not even sick. I mean, there's no, there was no need for him to have come at that time. If it, There's no need for the Messiah to come when the temple is standing. Now that the temple is destroyed and the people are dispersed, now we need a Messiah. So that's, that's one gigantic reason. Another reason is that it's a mixture of a lot of um, Greek myth with, uh, with uh, Jewish kind of uh, narrative, Jewish stories. So we don't have an idea of the Messiah for us is a person it's not a deity it's not um you know a, a demigod where you know god is the father and the, there's a, f- a physical mother that's present in you know Greek and Roman mythology there's a wide variety of different Greek myths where the the god um, impregnates a, a woman and and it's it's Greek myth so when um, Christianity kind of wanted to attract non-Jewish followers, you know, pagan followers, that they had to mix the tropes, mix the narratives. You can't have it both ways. It can't be a god and the descendant in Jewish law, the the Messiah, has to be a descendant of King David. That is, the father has to be King David. The father can't be kind of a a deity.
0: You know, mute me. not good. So you see that? That's, that's the theology. That's the theological reason for the rejection of what we call the new covenant. In that rabbi's mind, and that's, that's very similar to, you can see a dozen rabbis online, uh, conservative who know their Bibles, who will say this is in opposition to the Bible. And the so-called Christian Bible what we call the New Testament, which is based on the whole idea of the new covenant. This is a sham. This is a a doctored book. This is, as he says in the video, you know, they want to get some non-Jewish followers. And so they injected this idea of of the virgin birth, which in their view is this kind of, you know, demigod thing, like out of pagan Greco-Roman mythology. And uh, do you see the view though? So what they're saying is, no, newer isn't better. Some of the same theological issues from the first century, I mean, a clear rejection of the deity of Christ. And Jesus, no, he is not God. He is not of the same nature as God. He is not of the same essence of God. God has no son, very similar to the Islamic view. The most offensive thing in the Islamic view is that God has a son. That is utterly disgusting uh, to both both of those religious views, but I want you to understand the reasons why. And so there is a rejection there and an opposition, and it's not, again, these people are not foolish, ignorant people who, you know, I I saw one uh, rabbi, I think his last name is Tovia, and he has a whole ministry dedicated to rescuing people like me (laughs) and getting them back to their, you know, in a sense, back to the old covenant, get out of that church. You've been deceived. You're, I mean, you're one of the, he would say I'm one of the worst ones because now I'm a propagator of the new covenant, which shouldn't be around at all in his view. And he has a whole thing called let's get biblical. And this guy knows his old Testament very, very well. So I just want you to understand. This is kind of what they were facing in the first century. 20 centuries later, you've got even more problems. Not only do you have a theological thing that you have to wrestle with, uh, and I'm not going to deal with that today. Maybe another time we can, we can play with that. But um, you have a historical thing, which makes it even worse. Because the view in the broad section of Judaism, and that's why you know, like maybe one to 2% of the church worldwide actually has Jewish, uh, is coming from a Jewish context like me. The reason is that there is a great wall between Judaism and Christianity, and much of it has to do with history. Uh, Some of it has to do with theology, but much of it now has to do with history. And that is because in the minds of Jewish people, the persecution that they have endured by people in the name of Christianity uh, puts them in a position where they generally feel like Christians either want to do two things to us. They either want to convert us or they want to persecute us. It's one or the other. Now, you may say oh, that's not fair. <laughs> that, that isn't fair. We don't want to do that. I mean, my experience with evangelicals especially in a Pentecostal flair, uh, because of Pentecostal's view of the end of the world and these things, I have found evangelicals uh, extremely favorable towards, towards Jews. Sometimes a little too favorable, to be honest, as if we have little halos on our heads or something. I mean, um, uh, so I found it to be positive, but that's not the view of, of people who are Jewish, and that's why they stay away from Christianity, because their experience is Christians want to persecute us, Or Christians want to convert us and they're taught the reason why the reason why they're taught is that the Christian Bible the New Testament the new covenant teaches that Jewish people again this is their view Jewish people are responsible for the death of their demigod Jesus and so because Jewish people have done that to Jesus Christians want to persecute them. That's what they're taught. You say, but that's not, I'm just telling you what they're taught, okay? And uh, that's the view. So they either want to persecute us or they want to convert us. That's what they understand from the Christian Bible, what we call the new covenant. So for them, newer is not better. And you know, we have an, we have an example of this because I know some of you are saying, but that's not fair, that's not true. We have an example of this right in front of our eyes today from a a different, kind of a coming from a different angle. But you know, it's amazing how we don't learn from history. I mean, it's amazing. You look at this horrific uh, uh, discovery of this evil in this residential school with 215 bodies of children discovered there. This horrific, evil sin. And that's not the only example, of course, of, of what these residential schools did to indigenous people. Um, uh, hello, do we not know, learn from history? You, in the Bible, <laughs> you have something very similar in the Babylonian captivity. What did the Babylonians do? They, they stripped the, the Jewish people, ripped them out of their homeland, brought them into Babylon, especially the young people, gave them Babylonian names, ripped their religion out of them, tried to convert them to the Babylonian ways in every sphere of life. It's, it's eerily similar to the, to the nightmare and the horrific evil sin of what happened in these residential schools. They took these people, forced them, to convert to Christianity, abuse them in ways that we we can't even speak of, I suppose, uh, in this context. And here we see 215 bodies of little children. Wow, we don't learn from history, do we? It's right there in the Bible. Now the view is the church did it. It's the church who did this. The church is responsible for this heinous, evil, sinful crime. You say, well, that's not fair. It's not all of the church. It's what we can say, well, it's the Catholic church, not the Protestant church. To the people, it's the church. It's all lumped in the same ugly bucket. And to Jewish people, it's the church. The church wants to persecute us because they think we killed their demigod. And so they want to persecute us or they want to convert us. It's the same ugly thing. They lump everything in the same bucket. So back to the question, is new or better? You're a first century Jewish person coming to faith in Christ, you're going to face heat. You're a 21st century Jewish person, you're going to face heat when you come to Christ. I know what that's like from a personal uh, experience. Is new or better? Why would you bother? Why don't you just go through the religious thing and... You know, we talk about losing your religion. I'm not talking about losing your faith. I'm talking about losing the idea of you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. You don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And that will save you. That will get you into heaven. That will put you in a right standing with God. You do the work, you will be saved. By doing the work, by following the rules in their context, follow the law and you will live don't follow the law and you will die. Now the problem with that is that no one could follow the law and they all knew it. They all knew that they couldn't follow this law. You know, there's like 615 of them there in just in the five books of Moses alone. They all knew that they couldn't follow this. these, these I mean just they're they're written so that you can't follow them. They're written to bring up the problem that you can't. And this is the perspective of the new covenant is that wait a second, you your problem is that for centuries and centuries and centuries you have discovered that you cannot follow this law. And therefore it is insufficient to save you ultimately what are you going to do is newer Better. Let me give you uh, uh, quickly three reasons why, from the book of Hebrews, why newer is better then, and why newer is better now. Number one, you've got the resurrection of the high priest. The high priest is Jesus. It's not Melchizedek, it's Jesus. Jesus is kind of like this shadowy guy from the Old Testament, this obscure guy who drops in and out of the pages of the Old Testament. I mean, imagine Abraham tithed to him. <laughs> Woo, he's, a, he's an important guy, right? King of Salem and high priest. Whoa, this guy. So, so Jesus is like that guy, but he isn't that guy. He's even better. And the reason why he's better is because of his resurrection. And that's why he's better than any priest. In any priesthood that the Jews had, all of these priests had a problem, death, right? All of them had that problem. So you look at Hebrews chapter 7, uh, starting around verse 15. This is the author, again, continuing his arguments about Melchizedek. And he says, what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears... One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of an indestructible life. Ah, that's the Jesus who he's referring to. For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek from Psalm 110, the Old Testament. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. Ooh, is that offensive. To people who are Jewish today, for the law made nothing perfect. An implication you can't follow it, you will break it. You will, you can try, but you will break it. It makes nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. He's saying, Newer is better, and he's saying, It was brought with an oath. And the oath was from God himself. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Jesus is the guarantor. He, he, he's the guarantee of a better covenant. He's saying newer is better. Now there have been many of these priests, he says, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever. Ah, he has a permanent priesthood newer is better therefore he is able to save completely not partially completely those who come to god through him why because he always lives to intercede for them he's the mediator between god and humanity always He always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself one time. Doesn't have to go every week, every year, every day. He doesn't have to do all those things one time, one time only Paid in full, it is finished. The point of what we are saying, boy, I like it when he says this, the point of what we are saying, because when we read the book of Hebrews, we're like, what is his point? What's he talking about? The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. How did he do that? Well, because he rose from the dead. Because he was resurrected from the dead. The only person in the history of the world who was completely, fully, completely dead and buried, who was resurrected, not just raised, but resurrected from the dead is Jesus of Nazareth and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Speaking of a heavenly place, not an earthly place. And he goes on about the work of the high priest and how the high priest presents an offering, implying that the the, the offering that Jesus, the high priest, presented was himself. Verse 7, chapter 8, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no other would have been sought. There wouldn't be the need for another one, but God found fault with the people. So not only do you have the resurrection of the high priest, which makes newer, better, but you have something that can happen to a person that didn't happen to a person before because of the new covenant. It's right there, uh, chapter eight and verse eight, God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord. It's from Jeremiah 31. I found it interesting that the rabbis who I watched None of them addressed this passage. <laughs> they addressed other passages in the Old Testament, but I didn't see one of them who used this passage. I'm sure some, some do, but these ones didn't. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. There it is. Newer is better. With the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. Whoa, it's, it's, that's God speaking through Jeremiah in the Old Testament when I took them by the hand. To lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful. You can't keep the law. It's not keepable. There needs to be a new covenant. They did not remain faithful and I turned away from them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. How? When? What will it be like this new Covenant, this new arrangement. How's God going to forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more? How's He going to put His laws in our minds and in our hearts? That speaks of a transformation of a person, not just a religious rite or ritual to keep a person kind of hanging on, but it's a transformation of a person where people's hearts will be changed where their minds will be changed, and God has forgiveness promised, and it seems to be a permanent thing. I will forgive their wickedness, will remember their sins no more. Then the author of Hebrews, by calling this covenant new, he has made the other one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. What he's saying is, newer is better. Newer is better. There's a change, a transformation. I always find it funny that in this theater and the one right next to it, there's always movies about demonic possession. Or late, lately, it's always the devils and demons and all that. Well, it, you know, it, the promise of the new covenant is that you can be possessed by a different spirit. The spirit of God. And the spirit of God could come into your life personally, Permanently the deposit of what is to come, the person of the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the power of the Spirit personally. That is the promise of the new covenant. We see this happen in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We talked about the day of Pentecost a few weeks ago. This is part of the new covenant. Newer is better, the transformation of a person's life. And heart and mind. Wow. And ultimately the certainty of heaven. Ask Jewish people today if they're sure about heaven. They're not. Because when you look at the Tanakh, the Old Testament, you try and figure out heaven and things of eternity, heaven and, and hell and these kinds of things. And you try and understand it. It's incomplete. You have pieces and parts and types and shadows and things but it's incomplete it is there isn't a full understanding or a full grasp on eternity and what happens when you die if you just go by the Old Testament it's not fully clear there's a little bit there but it's not fully clear wow is this ever revealed in the new covenant is this ever made clear by the things that Jesus taught said lived very clear, so clear that Saul of Tarsus would write to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. A full, full assurance of eternity because of the new covenant. So newer is better. It doesn't mean that Judaism is gone, you know, it's for some of my Jewish friends who may be watching today. Christianity doesn't replace Judaism, okay? It's not, well, you know, a, the church replaces Israel and we don't have to read the Old Testament anymore and all these things are useless and obsolete and all that. No, they can't save, but they can point a person to the reality that they can't save. <laughs> they point a person to the reality that they need something new to change their heart. So the law is there to help a person understand that it can't save them. And it does a very good job of that. <laughs> it it helps us to understand, wow, I need something because I cannot keep this law. I cannot keep this law. This r- religious acts are not enough to save. I need... Something new. And this is what Jesus brings in. The new covenant, he says, in his blood. And this is what Jeremiah is referring to when he says, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. How? Why? On what basis? On what merit can God forgive sin and remember it no more? Ultimately, on what merit? When he pays the price for it. When he uh, uh, does the work for us by grace, that is how we can receive forgiveness of sins. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It has to be done by God himself. And that is what we celebrate when we talk about the new covenant. When we talk about communion, that's why newer is better it is better again it doesn't mean that the i want you to read the old testament you who are watching online read the old testament but read the old testament with the scope that you 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 understand the purpose of that and it points a person to their need of christ It doesn't mean that if a Jewish person comes to Jesus as Messiah, they reject their whole Jewish faith. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I still practice some of the things, you know, still do Passover and some of the big stuff. We still do some of those things. But what it means is I recognize that's not enough. It points me ultimately to Christ, a new and better covenant. Freshly churned butter, new wine a new garment. This is what it does. So what we're going to do now uh, before the musicians come, because I want them to participate as well, is we're going to distribute the emblems for communion. Whoa, first time in over a year. Okay, so those of you who are joining online, uh, you can go, go to your fridge, get some bread, get some juice. And uh, Amber is going to hand out those emblems. She's got gloves on, so you don't have to worry. Okay, she's going to hand them out to you right now. Uh, Just put your hand up if you haven't received any. And you want something really simple. Okay, it's a little one-stop shop, kind of portable emblem. It's all in one thing, all right? So I want you to hold on to it. And uh, I I need one as well, Amber, so you're going to have to serve me as well. But I want you to take communion today in a more appreciative way. I want you to understand, wow, what a time you live in you live in the new testament you live in the new covenant in jesus's blood i mean he's not going year after year after year got to do that crucifixion thing again oh boy i got to do this again and again and again no it's one time all finished all paid you can come to god boldly as as the author of Hebrews has said before to obtain grace and mercy in your time of need why because Jesus died on the cross you can experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit today why because Jesus died on the cross and rose again and sent the Spirit of God into our world So that we could be born again and changed and transformed and filled. Why? Because we know the hope of eternity is secure in the new covenant. All of these things, all of these promises, all of these benefits, I want you to think about. When you take communion, maybe it'll alter the way that you take communion. You know, in the in the in the, the days and months and years ahead. Uh, thank you. But you you have to understand what you're doing and what you're commemorating and what you're celebrating uh, when you do this. It's not just a little. Okay, you know, it's five minutes at the end of a service. No, this is this is a big big deal. It's a big big stuff. Uh, these people in the first century, they, they knew that when they, when they came to this Jesus by faith, it, it, it may well cost them everything. You know, Stephen is there and he says, into your hands I, I uh, re- receive my spirit. Very similar words to what Jesus used. He looks and he says, yet while he's being stoned, he says, I see Jesus At the right hand, standing at the right hand of God. And it angers the people who are who are officiating his execution. And he's at peace because he knows where he's going. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he breathed his last. What confidence that is. Why does he have it? Because of the new covenant. So when we take this bread and this juice; these are symbolic of all of this stuff that we're talking about. Matthew chapter twenty-six, uh, the Last Supper, uh, uh, what we, what we call the Last Supper. You see Jesus talk about it. You know, on the heels of being betrayed, he he talks about this, and he says he he takes. Uh, uh, The scripture says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And what he's talking about is the fact that he is going to give that body up on a cross very, very shortly. And he's saying, when you do this this is what you're commemorating this is what you're remembering this is my body paul would talk about this to the corinthians and he would extend it even more and he'd talk about the body as in you are the body of christ and he would challenge them in the way that they're treating one another you are the body of christ don't take the emblems In an irreverent way, because you're sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord when you do that. So what he's saying is, uh, the way you're talking to each other, the way you treat one another is important. You are the body of Christ when you read that thing in context. So he says, take this and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we just peel back the little thin, thin, thin layer, and you're going to see a wafer there. And uh, again, this is a picture. This is a symbol. I don't teach this as becoming the literal, physical body of Jesus. I think that what the Scripture is teaching this is a symbol, a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. Let us partake together. I'm just going to peel back the second little layer here of this set. It's a little thicker, so... Just so you know that as you're doing it. Maybe it's your first time doing it in this church. And then verse 27, Matthew 26. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. That which Jeremiah talked about. Which the author of Hebrews refers to the new covenant. Which is poured out for many. For what? The forgiveness of sins. I will remember your sins no more, Jeremiah said so many years before. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Implication, I'm going to live beyond this moment. I will be raised from the dead and not only that, there's gonna be a reunion between me and you in eternity. That's the new covenant. Newer is indeed better. Would you partake of the juice with me? Let's have a word of prayer together and I invite the band if they would come and get ready to play as uh, we're gonna close the service. But I wonder if there are those of you uh, today, and you just say, man, I, I, that, that really, I that didn't really hear it, didn't really learn it like that before. And uh, I just want to be in a place where I want uh, a kind of a fresh commitment uh, to Christ. And I want to be um, uh, appreciative and worshipful in my life uh, toward him and toward what he has done uh, for me. So I just want to pray for you before we finish. God, I thank you today for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we just take a moment to to worship you. We remember your death until you come. Lord, we praise you uh, for this incredible privilege that we have. By grace, we live in this time. By grace, you have called us. By grace, you, you have saved us. You, by grace, you reach into our lives to bring us closer to you. Lord, may we be responding to you. May we be worshipful of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You were the word
2: at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of. Now. my sin was great your love was greater what could separate us now what a wonderful name it is what a wonderful name it is the name of jesus christ my What oh, a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus.
0: i it's been a good, good time together, and thank you so much for joining us online. Band's going to continue to play for our online viewers there who enjoy that. And I'll be mulling around at the front. Uh, If I could have uh, uh, Charity and Zoe and Adrian, I see you there just to oversee the giving desk if people want to come. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. Remember, next week we have a guest with us. Don't forget to register. We'll see you then. God bless.